0: This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at I'm talking to Kate Cohen of New Scotland. When she became a mother a quarter century ago, she decided she would not lie to her children. That decision led to her third book published this week, We of Little Faith, Why I stop Pretending to Believe and Maybe You Should Too. She calls on atheists to make themselves known. First, to give others permission to live their lives more honestly. And second, to save the country. Religion, she writes, is at the center of every battle against scientific and social progress. She's known now because she's a contributing columnist for the Washington Post, but our longtime readers may remember her byline. I like to say she got her start as a journalist at the Altamont Enterprise right out of Dartmouth
1: College. And welcome, Kate. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. And you're absolutely right. That is completely accurate. I got my start at the Altamont Enterprise. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, this book just bowled me over. I've been waiting for this book really my whole life, but um, since I've known you, I think for about 10 years, this was a seed at least a decade ago, wasn't it? Yes, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, Um. well, it was (laughs) worth the wait. So the book is called We of Little Faith, Why I Stop Pretending to Believe and Maybe You Should Too. And I've asked Kate just to start off our talk by reading one small passage from her book, because the way she writes, she just puts you not just at the scene, but like right inside her heart. So she's going to read us just a little passage.
1: Okay, so this chapter is called, wait, let me turn, face the mic. This is called Thunderbolt. And it starts with a little um, epigraph. The religion of one age is the literary entertainment of the next, Ralph Waldo Emerson, character. I can tell you the exact moment when I started to raise my children as atheists. It didn't feel momentous at the time, but it was a moment. Noah was five, Jesse was three, and we were sitting on the couch reading from Dolaire's book of Greek myths, a holdover from my childhood bookshelf. Those illustrations freaked me out as a kid. It's one thing to read that Cronus ate his babies, but it's quite another to see it. So naturally, I had to share the experience with my boys. Sure, parenting is about helping your children navigate the world, but it's also about facing your demons while protected by total adoration and small warm bodies clad in footy pajamas. Anyway, one of the boys asked what a myth was. And I told them it was a story about how the world works. People used to believe that these gods were in charge of what happened on earth. And these stories helped explain things they didn't understand like winter or stars or thunder. See, look, I flipped ahead to find a picture. Zeus has a thunderbolt. They don't believe them anymore? No, I said, that's why they call it myth. When people still believe they call it religion like the stories about God and Moses that we read at Passover or the ones about Jesus and Christmas. They're just made up stories like myths, but people still believe them. So we to continue no, that's perfect. <laughs> that is just okay. perfect.
0: And to <laughs> me, this is emblematic of the entire book because what I love about it is you draw on your own experiences with your children to create for the reader, a sense of how you got to where you are. So just tell us a little about how you structured the book in two parts.
1: You have the first part. Right. Sure. Okay, so the part one is, is my story of how I came to uh, call myself an atheist it's not really my story of how I lost belief in God because I didn't really ever believe in God. Um, I was raised Reform Jewish and I did all the, you know, all the typical things, I went to Sunday school and we went to synagogue and we we lit the Shabbat lights uh, most Fridays and I was even bat mitzvah. Um, But I never remember thinking of God as an actual being that was listening to my prayers or anything like that. It's just that I kept that to myself um, because people are, um, I think, uh, suspicious of atheists. And they they um, they feel that believing in God is sort of the baseline of morality. Anyway, kept it to myself until I had children, and having children really made me um, decide that I had to be honest. I had to be honest with them because I was uh, raising them um, to face the world as it was. And so it felt wrong to me to give them any information I didn't believe to be true. That story of my coming to that realization, my starting to, to... to tell them what I actually believed, and therefore, in so doing, figure out what I actually believe um, and begin to tell other people is part one. Part two of the book.
0: well, let's stop. Hey, let's just stop. Okay, it's part okay, one, sure. and then we'll talk about that a little, and then sort okay, of how-to manual. But right. The, that the part two is how-to. How yeah. The part one, at the very end of the book, yeah. you, um, you compare, although you say, of course, the LGBTQ community has a much more difficult road than you had, but in a sense, mm-hmm. that part one is a coming out. It's, it's a... Um, It's a coming out story where Mm -hmm. your children are your muses. Um, And that's what the the passage you just read us. It's it's something to experience because you are so careful in describing both your own experience as a child and then Mm -hmm. as a parent, when I think many parents come back to a church or come back to a synagogue right. or come back to religion that they never really felt as they have children. And you did just the opposite. So tell just us the, the opposite. Yeah,
1: but um, so yeah, tell you're us, absolutely right. Tell us about that. Um, well, that really was um it, two things. One is <clears throat> that really was um because I had this visceral aversion to lying to my children. And because I, I was always uh, an atheist, you know, so it wasn't like at that point I was still not sure and therefore would just go with what I was raised with. I, I knew what I believed. Um, but the other thing I wanna say is I certainly don't blame, I understand why people go back to Religious um, traditions, even if they've left them behind, you know, in their young adulthood or college, because there are so many things about religion um, that right now uh, give us a lot that people need. I think, you know, community being one of them, uh, something, a way to wrap your mind around, or I guess I would say, avoid the question of death, um, a way to think about morality all of those things. And I, and, and so that's, that's part two. It's really like, okay, now I've done this. I've, I've set us down this path, but I want my kids to have rich, meaningful, comforting, um, grounding, uh, lives. And so what are the things that religion gives us and how can I, um, provide those things for my children. And that is, is part two. So we, we go on a little tour. <laughs> yes. Of, uh, <laughs> I want to
0: walk you through some of that. But first, okay, great. just back, back to the thunderbolt. Okay, sorry. No, don't be sorry. Yeah. I just, the reason I love that so much is Mary Lefkowitz was a classicist at Wellesley. And she mm-hmm. wrote this book that um, really Opened my eyes. It was Greek gods, human lives. And she tried to describe what we call myths and what you correctly told your two sons because we don't believe it anymore. (laughs) We don't call it religion. But she tried to recreate that in the ancient mind so that you could understand how it functioned, not as these cute mythical tales, but how it was that moral framework that you're talking about for that time, and that sense of justice, and that sense, yeah, and so here you are with these footed, (laughs) kids in their footed (laughs) pajamas having this moment, and... um, I just if you could talk about your writing process how like did you just save little scraps of these interchanges with your kids as the years unfolded did you sit down all at once and have like a straight shot of, uh, <laughs> of like a, a path of revelation I mean how what was mm. the writing process for that coming right. out part for that first part of the book because um that to me is the really the the how-to part at the end, I think, will be very, very useful for people that haven't grown up as atheists, but I think for the, the just for the, what literature gives you in that first part, I'd just like to hear how you built it,
1: how that came to be. I, I wish it were either as... um Um, methodical or as inspired as the options that you gave me (laughs) (laughs) it was much more kind of haphazard in the sense of um, there's certain stories there in that first part of the book that I've told um, before and then there's certain parts that uh, I you know I never drew a, a sort of a straight line from one from, say, my my uh, upbringing in a reformed Jewish congregation to the experiences I had writing my first book, which was about um, my cousins in Italy who survived the Holocaust. You know so uh, so there there were sort of well-worn stories, and then things that I was connections I was making for the first time as I was writing um, and trying to put it into a narrative uh, structure um and i you know the usual writing thing i did it badly and then i did it a little bit better and then i did it a little bit better i'm all about revising so um that's one, probably one of the reasons that it's it's taken so long but i'm glad that it it worked for you you know the the thing that's funny i think about the memoir part of my book or funny to me when i talk about it is it's not a very um arduous or um, windy journey, really, from reformed Jew to atheist. You know, it's not the most dramatic story (laughs) that a person could tell. Um, And so, so I'm glad that it was a it was still a story that captured you. I I feel like that the lack of drama, to a certain extent, you know, if you look at it as a hero's journey, (laughs) the lack of drama It's more what people, a lot of people are facing, right? It's not um, kind of, it's not that I was um, ever really threatened um, because of being um, an atheist. It's not that I feared for my physical well-being in making any kind of revelation. It wasn't that. It was all about these tiny little moments in your head where, you know, you don't want to, Correct someone in a conversation because you want to have a pleasant interaction or you don't want people to think that you think that they, you know, aren't smart or that they believe something that's that's incorrect. You know, all these little things that you do to get along with other people. And I ultimately felt that. um, That that was the wrong course, that. Um, being honest about what I really believed actually um, improved uh, a lot of my relationships and opened up conversations with people that I would never have expected. Um, so uh, not terribly dramatic, but I hope um, fun to read well, what and, made um, it, what, and relatable. Yeah, you know, relatable. that's it. Yeah. Relatable.
0: It, it yeah. felt true. A little like right. a conversation at a Halloween gathering at school where, right. you know, the mother's asking about what Nursery schools you've looked at, and you like edge up to the word atheist and then use it. But you frame the whole book with this really, um, the beginning and end with this what 2013 is it a tornado in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. the CNN reporter is, you know, saying. Something like, you gotta thank the Lord. And the right. woman who's just survived the tornado and with her child is saying, I'm actually an atheist. That's <laughs> at the very beginning. So yes. it captures your attention. And then at the end, you actually caught up with her to see how it affected her life. So it makes it like a parable because you're in the middle experiencing all this, and the reader's wondering, well, How did that affect Kate Cohen's father-in-law? Has he read this book? Because you paint him as somebody who um, was reticent. Maybe that's, I'm trying to find the right word here, but not accepting of the lack of a bat mitzvah, or the lack of a bris, or yes, so that's right. the reader is wondering with this framing, how it's playing yeah. out in your own life, which is right. a quietly courageous way to write, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know the thing about Rebecca Vitzman, um, and I, I did catch up with her. She is the one who told Wolf Blitzer. Um, Very bravely, I felt uh, that she was an atheist and um, no, so she didn't thank the Lord. The thing that was remarkable, even about her story, and again, Oklahoma, and she had a religious family and I called her up and I said, "Okay, well, then what happened? You know, she had said that her um, her family didn't know that she was an atheist. This was really, if you want to frame it as, or phrase it as coming out, this was really coming out on national TV under incredible pressure. And, um, and she said, oh, there was no particular fallout. You know, it was a one hard conversation with her mother who ended up saying, oh, I, I know you're a good person. And mostly people coming up to her in airports, thanking her. Um, so it, you know, the, the same thing for me, basically, I, I, I finally took a stand against, um, uh, passing on a religious tradition that I didn't believe in. And I was very scared to do it and nervous about it, even though I was a grown woman, <laughs> which is a little embarrassing, but there you go. And, um, And it was, you know, friction for a while and then fine. And um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that I try to impress upon readers is um, it's you're going to be surprised. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised if they are willing to make this um, revelation about themselves to other people. Um, How many great conversations and how much support and how relieved other people have been that I've talked to who don't feel, you know, because it is still somewhat stigmatized to say that you're an atheist or you don't believe in God. um, People do feel um, like they can't say it. And when other people give them permission, uh, I think it's a big relief for some people. I also want to stipulate that I'm very... I understand that for some people it is a risk and I don't it's I don't think that everybody has to, you know, read my book, close the, you know, final chapter and then and then go and um, and and declare themselves atheists. I don't expect that to happen. And I know that some people are in situations where it would be risky professionally or um for their kids. Uh, and I, and I, I feel like that gives me as a person who's, you know, in the Northeast, who's white, who's, you know, has surrounded by liberal people, whose family's all very, you know, more or less understanding. Uh, it's, it's, it's more incumbent on people like me to, to, to self-identify because some people can't. You know, and so for their sake, I think it's really important. Well, two things
0: sprung to yeah. my mind as you were talking. One is um, the idea of self-censorship. And you have several examples of that throughout mm-hmm. your book. And one of the most touching is... Your daughter Lena, who is a preschooler, (laughs) is kind of bombarded by this man who asks what (laughs) Santa gave her. And she quietly and courageously says, Santa is pretend. And then, because she's a kind, caring child, when that man says, Don't tell my priest, you know, (laughs) his two toddlers that are standing there, she She keeps that in. And there's so much of that um, that I find your very end, you have like this call out, (laughs) come out as an atheist (laughs) to save the country. Religion is at the center of every battle against scientific and social progress. So it's the antithesis of the kind of self-censorship that you yourself felt subjected to for a lot of it. It, so was writing the book itself a journey for you in in kind
1: of making that call at the end, or yes, I think well, first of all, as you say, it's been however many years since I started thinking about this, and it really did start as a much more personal journey and and um uh, a discussion of the personal rewards of being honest with your kids I mean the the conversations that we can have and the way that we can think about things together these big questions that are so difficult um but we can think about them together and i'm not trying to you know use some kind of uh i don't know received wisdom or or some kind of metaphysical structure i don't really believe to to answer their questions. you know, so at first, it was really a very personal thing. But these past you know ten years or so, um, the politics have changed too in America. Um, and I think that you know, a lot of our rights are under threat now, and specifically, because of the rise of Christian nationalism and the and the and the um, weakening of the protections of the establishment cause, you know the the separation of church and state is no longer the kind of I don't know lodestar <laughs> for the judicial system that it, it you know when I started writing I wasn't worried that there would, for example, uh, be a Uh, a Catholic school that was chartered as a public school in Oklahoma, which just happened. You know, I wasn't worried, um, about, about religious liberty as a concept being used to excuse discrimination against, uh, the LGBTQ community, you know, so things have changed and I feel even more, um, or, I feel more and more, I should say, like, it's a, it is a important political act if you don't believe in God to make that clear to other people and to make it clear that you don't believe that any public policy should be based on the law of a fictional character. Um, So yes, I, you know, it, it was a journey partly through the writing, I think. Uh, but but maybe mostly through time and through the political era that we're in now. And then in terms of my own um, feeling confident, um, expressing my beliefs, every every experience I've had has only reinforced my sense that, um, you know, you take this leap out, leap of faith, leap of trust in the person that you're talking to. And many more times, often than not, what you get back is something sort of marvelous. Um, So I haven't, you know, I, I keep kind of squinting my, you know, squinching my little face together and sort of diving off into this cold water. And then it turns out it's not cold water at all. Um, so that has been my experience so far. The book comes out next week um, and. Um, we, will, we shall see, <laughs> I'm sure that I you will be get a lot You'll be having people mail. stopping
0: you in airports, just like well, you were saying. But I do, your book has a lot of examples of what you just said. You created, uh-huh. I think, the name Dr. Flowers for this conservative Southern <laughs> doctor who yeah. was nice enough to let your son play on his piano, and you were making yeah. very small, small talk, and... Mentioned that you loved saints because he had a statue of one in his garden and he expressed surprise because he thought you were raised a Jew, I think he said. And mm-hmm. so you opened up to him and then he opened up back to you about having a gay son. And yeah. it just. Was an unexpected moment of sharing that wouldn't have happened without that honesty. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that give me hope. But before we run out of time, I want to just go through the how-to part, which is okay. <laughs> what we lose and what we gain, because Kate has laid out, you know, some of the big things that we think of as religion giving to us um, the life after death the holidays, the moral compass, um, the church building itself. And actually, Mm -hmm. I looked up numbers that were really different than your book. And I don't know if Pew has done more research recently, but... I I keep talking to, you know, when a new minister comes to town or someone has been in the ministry Mm -hmm. locally a long time and they all say the same thing to me, that the congregations are just falling away. Only the old people are left. And it makes me think it's really timely for your book. I'm just going to quickly look at this. Pew, thing I looked up um, very recently. In the 1990s, nine -hmm. out of ten American adults identified as Christian, and Pew has come up with eight different scenarios based on the current decline, and they think by 2017, it will be between 35 and 54 percent identify as Christians. So, I mean, that's. (laughs) Right, which
1: is mainly due, I believe. I mean, the the main difference is, you know, now people aren't identifying as anything. Right. Which isn't quite the same as it is not at all the same as 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 sort of saying that you're an atheist or you don't believe in God. Um, But, yeah, it's a big it's a precipitous decline. um, And. uh I actually wrote about that in my last column for the post because i i I do love churches, but i you know and i and and what I love about them is is that they you know render in in physical space kind of abstract ideas and um values that people hold and it's a sort of an expression of what we care for Um, and, and, you know, I think they can be inspiring spaces to be in. So I was wondering where I might get that. (laughs) Uh, And I, and I ended up in that, I mean, in that chapter, I really urge people to recognize the spaces that they already do have um, that, that give them that sense of largeness, um, or smallness within largeness, you know, the largeness of the of of humanity. Uh, it doesn't have to be a church. Um, yeah, you have Baker so, library at Dartmouth College. Yes, and you have the Yale uh, library. And, yeah. and libraries, I personally love my libraries. Um, but you know, it could be, it could be, uh, it could be your um, your minor league baseball park. You know, it could be. It could be uh, your favorite theater that you go to that um, you feel connected to and you start to help out where you start to help out. You know, I think I think the important thing is to to commit to a space and a community um, whose values you share, if possible. Um, so, so you, yeah, you have the music studio in your book that. Yeah, I yeah. talked about the music studio because. um. um yeah, I just think it's 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 kind of magical these spaces that are, you know, strictly speaking, not necessary for the continuance of human life, right? I mean, we 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 can survive without them. but we build these things because certain ideas are important to us. and i I just I find that absolutely delightful and moving. So uh, a space where everybody, sees the value in music and in music education, um, and in, in the power of tiny little brains and what they can do. Um, yeah, that, that when my kids were young, uh, especially, um, really all the way through high school, that, that was my, that was my church. And they, um, They have a recital space over at the University of Albany that also gave that sort of beautiful sense that That I think is important too. Yeah, Yeah, the architecture and it's just sort of and that sense of occasion um, because I think you need you need that too to go along with it. Um, So yes, but you know the kids are just having just left the nest. <laughs> so um, I'm not over at the music studio as much as I used to. And um, now I have to find a different, a different space that gives me those, those feelings. Yeah, because the coming
0: together, you make the point again mm-hmm. and again in your book. One of my favorite parts was where you went with a friend to an alcoholic nomin, F- oh, yeah. a meeting and the idea that the steps count on having a higher power, but you point out very uh, presently that that really it's the people coming together to help each other (laughs) that that are making it work. And yeah, that's so important. So I don't know if we can run through some of these other things. We've kind of touched on (laughs) the church space. We've kind of touched on... um, what about, tell us a little on um, your own holiday. <laughs> that one I had some trouble with, <laughs> International Pizza <laughs> Day, because it isn't the same kind of thing you feel like everyone is celebrating, but how, you have steps even. What, why are holidays important, and, and how, can, how can they function outside of a religious setting?
1: I, first of all, I don't want to take anyone's Christmas away. I, you know, fully endorse have have fun and get joy wherever you can. So I want to say that right away. <laughs> um, I think holidays are important um, for two reasons, and one of those reasons is they just, you know, help mark time. They help us f- sort of feel where we are in this wash of time, um, and. That is, I guess, more important than I realized until the lockdown and, the, and the, um, those months when there was nothing on the calendar, there was nothing that was gonna happen. And the only things that were still there were religious holidays. Um, so, so they help us mark time, but I, more importantly, they help us um, take a moment to pause and look around us and rejoice. Celebrate. Um, So I feel as an atheist that the religious holidays that I love to be a part of, you know, I love to be a part of Christmas when I can. I love to be a part of um, Jewish holidays, Um, but they don't give me ultimately that real sense of transcendence, I think, that a person should be able to get from a holiday, because I don't really believe in the sort of central story, you know, at the core of those of those holidays. So I do talk about all the all the ways in which we tried to make holidays for our own family. And um, and the one holiday that accidentally stuck um, and became our major family holiday which is international pizza day which is um, it is a a midwinter holiday it's a february holiday and it involves lots of um, homemade pizza with lots of toppings it involves lots of work and um it's Celebrates the things that my family values, which is um, which is getting people together, uh, uh, cooking things from scratch, uh, being a little bit silly, um, uh, taking things that are cheap, like flour and water and turning them into things that are w- w- wondrous um like pizza dough. <laughs> so uh International Pizza Day is just perfect for us. Um and the only problem with it is as you said um that you know really we're the only ones who are celebrating it. And so you miss that sense of that I love about Christmas say which is that everybody everybody is having a common experience in some way, you know, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, you know, when it is, you, you know, you plan around it, you, 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 you stay out of the mall for that month, whatever it is you're doing. um, You're kind of, you're, you know that it's Christmas. And so that's, that is one, you know, that's one thing about being a, an atheist and, and making, making things from scratch, I guess, if you want to put it that way for your own family is that, you know, there's a little bit of, um, it can be isolating. It can be isolating, but hopefully through this book, you know, we'll, we'll build more community and and maybe more people will be celebrating international pizza day. Um, that should lead me to my end
0: question of who should read the book. But before I get there, I just want to have you, because I every day deal with trying to tell the truth, you have created a truth spectrum in your book. (laughs) Just before we sign off and hear who should be reading this book, just tell us about your truth spectrum.
1: Um, So my truth spectrum is... it measures, um, the amount that you believe your religious scriptures to be true. Um, so what I, what I'm talking about, I believe in that section is, um, how, how people and religions, um, move and change over the years. And they think of, you know, God as an actual being. And then maybe they think of God as a metaphorical being. And then maybe they don't think that God is a thing at all or whatever it is, you know, I I, I find it fascinating how, how slippery these things are in people's heads. Um, and so the truth spectrum goes from, you know, you literally believe that, um, that God parted the Red Sea, you know, um, through oh well that's a metaphor for god's power through oh that's a metaphor for escape you know and and that and that and the trauma of of um of being a refugee all the way to and no nope sorry i don't believe it so, <laughs> yes, which you call um, bullshit in the book. which yeah. i call bullshit okay it's true i do yeah. so that is and i say You know, it's interesting. You would think that I, as an atheist, would always be in the bullshit camp. I basically am. But there's the the step right before it, which is which is you take you see this as literature and you're able to make beautiful things out of it. And I think people do do that. And I think I did that for a long time. You know, I found ways to make, you know, Passover resonant or I found ways to um, think about Hanukkah that wasn't, you know. That wasn't like this story is really true and more it's like, oh, we should celebrate light and we should celebrate beauty. That's how a lot of people approach um, dealing with religious traditions that they don't really, you know, fully be- fully or at all believe in in terms of the actual reality of it. Um, yeah. And well, uh, you say yeah. in your book, even in the, your family growing up,
0: you would say like prayers in Hebrew, blessing the candles, but you'd have them like in quotation marks in English (laughs) to sort of translate for visitors. And so you had this distancing already happening, which is partly because you're a literary person, I think, and your father was, and
1: it's a way of looking at the world that is like one step removed. I think you're right. I think that, that, and that is kind of a writer's way of looking at the world too, in a way. You're sort of, you're, it, it, there was an observing aspect to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, out of time, final question
0: Who should okay.
1: read this book? Well, I think. That the people who should read this book are the people who maybe aren't sure what they believe, um, or are sure that they don't believe, but don't see a way forward in terms of um, in terms of revealing that to themselves, their children, um, their communities. You know, I, I wrote this book to give courage to, um, people who don't believe in God as a supernatural being in charge of the universe, you know? And I think that those people, I think there's a lot of those people. I think they should read the book. I think atheists should read the book too, because I think it's a lot of fun and they'll see a lot of themselves in it. And, um, And I also think that religious people should read the book because especially in the section that you're talking, the the, uh, part two, where I really try to break down what it is that religion gives us. I think they'll find an appreciation for religion and also ways to think about their own religious practice that they might not have before. Um, So... I'm going to oh, add wait. another
0: another category. Oh, okay, good. Regardless of where on the spectrum of belief or non-belief, anyone who's pregnant. <laughs> because you fun. have like nine months to figure out <laughs> this big <laughs> question. And it's just such a good guide from a mother's point of view. Um, I think few of us are so unflinchingly honest with our children. But just the way you write about it is so enlightening. So go ahead. You, you were saying something else.
1: Well, now you made me think of other things I want to say. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> no, I also think it's a really fun read. And so I encourage people just who like to think about ideas. Um, uh, but laugh while they're doing it, you know, that, that that's the sweet spot I'm trying to hit, you know, that, um, that, I find, I kept telling my publisher, it's entertaining. I want it to be entertaining. And, and um, they were concerned that that meant I wasn't trying to Make my points, and I, you know, I, I said no. I really think that no, that saves it. It isn't entertaining. It's not polemic. Oh,
0: it, it it leads sorry. the reader to reflect right. on her own life. It isn't right. Like and I think points, 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 points,
1: Thinking about things is entertaining. You know, that's fun for me, yeah. and I think it can be. I think more. It's fun for more people than maybe people realize. So anyway, so those people also. So really, everybody should read the book. Um, but I want to say about the honesty and I appreciate the compliment. I'm sure my children will, will, will take issue with, with that a little bit, but um, you don't just have one. I'm speaking to the parents now. You don't just have one chance. You, you know, you don't just have one chance to answer the question. If you answer the question and you think to yourself later, well, that wasn't really honest. That's not really what I believe. You can go back to your child and have that conversation again, and add to that conversation at some point when they get older. Why you might have been dishonest about it, you know. Though that that I think it's, it, I think it's important for parents to know that they don't have to have the perfect answer, or the perfect script at all. You 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 figure it out as you go along, and as long as you're. As long as you stick to this sort of notion that you really want to try to express what it is you truly believe, I think that will take you far um, in terms of building a a great sense of trust between you and your kids and, and even figuring out some of these big questions.